Hi, everybody from The Ruck for the second time this week. We're on double time, double the money, because we've already produced Ruck One this week. A conversation between the great Owen Slot and three directors of rugby, Steve Diamond, Pat Lamb, Chris Boyd of Sail Sharks, Bristol Bears and Northampton Saints, respectively. Today, we've got four even wiser men talking about the restart of the season. Four greats heroically have carried the ruck through where there was no rugby, when there were no issues, but we promised that we would carry right on through, not miss a trip, not miss a story, not miss a week. And that is what we did while our so-called rivals went and took a summer holiday. How pathetic. So congratulations to particularly myself, but also to uh, the great Lawrence Delalio, to Alex Lowe and to Owen Slot. Gentlemen, we are on the verge of not a new season, but a restart. Owen, how is it grabbing you in the heart and soul? A, it's a relief. B, we know we're going into the weirdest rugby that we'll ever have seen without crowds. But I think overridingly at the moment, I I feel real genuine excitement about what the rugby is going to look like because the teams are exciting, the competition is exciting, the, 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 the clubs have made big changes and there are a lot of contenders. So I think we've got a really exciting competition coming our way and it's, it's phenomenally hard to predict what's going, what's going to happen. Lawrence, a big moment for BT Sport because not only are you covering the normal games but you're covering every game. I mean, that's an exciting thing. What sort of hassle has that been behind the scenes? Rugby desperately wanted to be the first sport back on television, as we know. Unfortunately, for for lots of reasons, that was a a bit of a bold statement, maybe slightly ambitious. The the difficulty of getting rugby back through COVID has been uh, harder than ever before. 57 matches, Jonesy, to to get played in just over 10 weeks. So it's going to be... Fast and furious, as they say, right from the off. As Slotty has said, very, very excited. Um, some new laws to uh, to get our heads round and uh, a lot of new coaches and players to get our heads round. A very different environment with empty stadiums, so a big onus on the mental preparation that players will have to go through. We know rugby is a, a big physical game, but I think the onus will now be how do they prepare mentally to get themselves in the right frame of mind. But uh, very, very excited, looking forward to it and some real superstars on show. And we'll find out what they've really been doing during lockdown. Alex Lowe, I notice you're heading for Cornwall. Which games will you be reporting <coughs> on for us from down there? Well, I'm, I'm in a similar situation to Wayne Barnes in that I've sat here waiting for rugby to return for five months and I'm now going to miss the first two weeks. Wayne Barnes is missing it because he, he flew to Spain on holiday and now, is now in quarantine. I'm missing it because I thought I'd be at the Olympics and booked a week's holiday in Cornwall and I can't change it. So uh, I'll be across all of Lawrence's games on BT Sport, but I won't be attending any. Thank you for our armchair, definitely rugby correspondent (laughs) of the Times. Rugby, above almost other sports, depends on the bonhomie, the the support, the banter, the, the beers from the touchline. How much are we expecting it to feel strange? Lawrence? Well, I think we're going to miss it a lot. I mean, uh, you know, clearly we're not quite sure whether home advantage is actually going to mean home advantage in in most sports, particularly in rugby, having to travel, um, having to deal with the crowds and all the other things that that happen uh, when you're playing away from home. You know, how much does that not having the fans take take that home advantage away? And what I've noticed in other sports, certainly, you know, football and cricket is the product. Once you get, I mean, the first couple of weeks, let's be honest, Jones, he's going to feel a bit weird for all of us. 
you know, we're used to packed stadiums. We're used to the banter between fans and the players and the energy that the, the players derive from that. And it's going to feel strange. It's going to feel different. But it is what it is. I think it felt a bit odd in, uh, in, in football. But as the season built to a climax, we got a pretty th- thrilling climax to the Premier League football season, both at the top and the bottom. Cricket, which I was deeply concerned about. You know, no fans in the stadium at all. But actually, the uh, the series between England and West Indies, and and even now between England and Pakistan, has produced some wonderful cricket. And let's just hope that that rugby, uh, with fifty seven games, we're going to see games coming thick and fast. Lots of different teams. We're going to have to really keep up to date with what's going on. But let's hope the players get out there and and really show us what we've all been missing, which is a, a high octane end to the season. You know, yes, relegation is already settled with Saracens down, but I think there's still a lot to play for at the very top of the table. The bookies have got Exeter nailed on as evens, you know, right the way down to the likes of Wass and Gloucester at sort of 33, 40 to 1. So I think there's lots to play for. Really looking forward to seeing how the players are able to adapt mentally to get themselves in the right frame of mind to, to smash the living daylights out of each other physically. Oh, in that we'll just come to the individual games. What, what do you think? Is there going to be a hollow feeling? I mean, for instance, we've got a turn up or I've got a turn up for, for, to Bristol really early. I've got to go through various tests. There's no food there. Or there are no team sheets. We understand why. But would there be a slightly hollow feeling, however much, as Lauren says, we're dying to see some rugby? There will be slightly, Jonesy, but I'm hoping on Saturday morning you'll receive a package from me of sandwiches that I've prepared already for your journey. Okay. Hopefully the experience won't be too too damaged by the by the lack of what do they give us at, at Bristol? The, uh, the 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 pre-match meal is quite decent, isn't it? So I'll, I'll put Excellent. a lot of effort into into your sandwiches and may, maybe um, a, a scotch egg as well. Don't forget, I don't like tomatoes. <laughs> Alex, uh, how will this affect you in the Cornish Clotted Cream uh, Cafe? Will there be? Will you be maintaining separation down there while you watch the matches? Or uh, no, it'll be, it'll be jam first, and then and then cream on top. Okay. definitely no separation between those two. I think. Um, I'm not too worried about the television product with the empty stadium. I've sort of got slightly used to it watching football. Cricket has been much better. I think maybe because the television spectacle is, you know, you're so much more focused on the detail, narrow camera angles and all that kind of thing, that that, that the absence of spectators, other than maybe that Saturday afternoon at Old Trafford, which would normally have been been jumping as England were were pulling off that sort of counter-attack, you didn't get that, that noise. But the actual detail of the game, I think, uh, I haven't really noticed it. And I wonder whether rugby might be similar as a television product. Okay. I mean, one of the things I'm excited about, as Scotty put, is that we don't know how any of these teams are going are gonna to come out of the traps. And, and that's, what, that's what makes it exciting. We've got you know, new players, new coaching staffs, and they, they all had differing form going into <laughs> lockdown. But they're starting again now. And, and, and so it's a sprint to the line, and no one quite knows how well they're going to come out of the blocks. We waited so long for the rugby. Let's just crack on with it. Quinn Sale is a terrific opener because Sale have suddenly become arguably the the biggest danger to Exeter. Quinn's always sort of on the verge, but never quite made it. But talking big this time. Lawrence Sale, are they one of the teams that you're really, really looking forward to seeing? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing every uh, every team for, for lots of different reasons. For Harlequins, the home team, you know, the Chris Robshaw swan song, what a great servant he's been to the club. He's off to uh, play rugby in America, but he's got a few more games left. And uh, what last impression can he leave on the club? There's been a, a lot of changes at Quinns. Their, their home form is sort of slightly baffled at times. They beat Exeter, they beat Saracens, but then they lose to London Irish by a shed full of points. 
the likes of, of Sale, you know, real statement of intent. You know, under Steve Diamond, they've been building and building. The headline, obviously, signing of, of Manu Tuolangi is a real statement from them in terms of, um, you know, where they see themselves. But to Yaga at lock, for me, is the one that stands out, you know, probably taller than anyone, really. He's already settled in, calling the line-outs, calling the show. It's going to be a really interesting game. That There's no doubt that they're pushing Exeter and the likes of Bristol and Northampton as genuine contenders. The last trophy they won was, what, 2006, long, long time ago. They're obviously, this is a repeat of the Premiership Cup final, which is going to be played in a few weeks' time. They haven't seemed to, in all the chaos of the global season, they've still got the Premiership Cup. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Sale have never been particularly good on the road. We know how strong they are at the AJ Bell. Maybe, just maybe, if they showed by beating Exeter away that they've got the credentials, if they can win this one, I think people really will take them as, as title contenders. Alex, the way Quinn's have gone about it has been nothing like as high profile as Sale. Quinn's haven't brought in any, any world megastars, but how do you sense they're going? Do you think they know what they're doing? Are they, are they building slowly and surely? When you talk to Paul Gustard, it's quite hard to, to leave a conversation with him and not been sort of dragged into, into his positive mindset. He's very bold about what he thinks his Quinn's can do. And, and he's got the facts to back it up. And says, you know, they, they struggled for a lot of the season before lockdown they had so many players out injured. And although Andre Esterhazen, their, their Springbok signing in midfield, is still stuck in South Africa, doesn't yet have a visa, when he arrives, they'll have Esterhazen and Marchant in midfield, neither of whom were there before lockdown. They'll have Nathan Earl fit again on one wing. They'll have Chris Ashton playing for them on the other wing. And they'll have Mike Brown fit again at fullback, which is a whole new backline. They're pretty confident that Wilco Lowe, the Springbok prop, will be a, a strong replacement for Carl Sinclair, a different type of player. There aren't many like Kyle out there, but um, I, I think there are genuine reasons for Quinns to be optimistic that they just couldn't get they couldn't get much momentum going before lockdown because they they were bereft of players. And I understand Paul Gustav's optimism because the talent he now has to work with, who who were either in New Zealand in, in the case of, of March and or or in the injury room for Nathan Earl and, and Mike Brown. So yeah, they're they're another team where you think you can understand the optimism surrounding them because. They, if they can hit the ground running, they, they, I think they're seven points off the playoffs at the moment with a lot of points to play for. They, you know, they're genuinely targeting those, that top four. Can I give my worthy opinion on Sale? Because I think they're the, they're the most interesting team of the lot for various reasons. We've got this preposterously congested fixture list with, is it four midweek games we've got? So for me, one of the key factors in who wins this premiership is who's got the strongest squad. And you need numbers and you need strength in depth. Now, Sale, their gamble is they, I think they've probably got the smallest squad in the Premiership. They, I think they've got 32 players in their squad. So that's just, that's two teams plus barely anything extra. You've got very, very, very little room for injuries in that or even for, even for rest when you've got those midweek games. They're proud of that. They said that's their policy and they like it. They're, they're, they believe they can look after their players and see them through it. And they say because they've got fewer players, they have a higher concentration of, of better played players and they're therefore um, are arguably higher quality players. So that is what their championship title challenge is based on. I think it's flawed, but it'll be, be, be fascinating to watch because surely this season of all seasons, the big squads, the better squads will be the ones that thrive. Exeter, Leicester, amazingly, I suppose, but that would seem to be the foregone conclusion of the round with respect all round. Do Exeter have to win the title this year? Saracens are out of the way and um, really it would be a massive blow to Exeter, surely, if they didn't win the title 
and win the grand final? I mean, yes, is, is, is the short answer to that because Exeter have been at the top of the table for as many seasons as any of us can remember, really. All the other sides, Bar Saracen, sort of come and go, but Exeter have been there, but actually only only managed to lift the, the trophy with that epic win against Wasps. So, uh, yeah, with Saracens now firmly out of the picture, you've got to say that, that Exeter uh, have got that experience, that now. But as, as Slotty's just mentioned, no one quite knows how they're going to restart the season. Sale were red hot before lockdown. They won six out of their eight games. They were the team that were really flying, as were Wasps. Exeter have still only lost four games this season. They haven't had some of the high-profile salary wrangles and, and issues that maybe the likes of Leicester and one or two other clubs have had. They've added a few players to their to their playing roster. They've lost a few, but you do feel that down at Sandy Park, against a an unknown Leicester team, let's be honest, Steve Borthwick there, new coaching staff, a lot of new players, a lot of old players. It's going to be interesting to see. I don't think any of us are under any doubt that Steve Borthwick will improve the Leicester Tigers no end because the only way was up really for them. But uh, whether he can do it from day one remains to be seen. So yeah, I'd expect a, a pretty a pretty resounding win for Exeter in that opening game. Alex, uh, we have a load of Tigers fans uh, who, who tune into us regularly. Any hope for them? What can you tell them? Discern any long-term trends in terms of revival for the Tigers? There's no trends you could speak of with Leicester other than other than downward, and that that's what they're now working to to arrest. And and, and I think in Borthwick they they do have a coach who will give his absolute all to turning things around. They have made some strong signings. You know they they lost Manu, but they brought in Matt Scott. They've signed Nandolo from Montpellier. They're not going to be without an enormous power runner in the bat line because he'll he'll come in probably on the wing, although obviously he can pop up anywhere. Luke Wallace is a smart little signing, I think, in, in the back row. They've been talking about using these games now, really, not as pre-season, because they obviously they, they want to win them, but it's a, it's a free hit in a lot of ways for them to forge a squad and a style of play, which, which Ben Youngs has said is, is going to change, and get that all in place for next season. You know, sometimes these things can turn around on a dime and it's a massive test for Steve Borthwick as, as his first job as a, as a head coach. The challenge for Steve Borthwick will be where everyone knows about his work ethic. It's a long-term project. You know, when you're working with club players, you're working with them all year round. Steve Borthwick is used to working with players in a very short, intense window. And what you can do in those short international windows is you can really, really attack the players in terms of their fitness, their technical ability and everything. You pack it in. We've heard about the training sessions that that Borthwick and Eddie Jones have done. The challenge for Steve will be over a longer period of time, you've got to ease off on your players as well. You can't treat them like they're international players. And, Mm. you know, chatting to uh, some of the players at Leicester already, the intensity of their training has gone up to what you call international level. And, and that's great for Leicester. And hopefully we'll see that on the field. It's just getting that balance right between doing that, but doing that over a long period of time. I want to go on to one of the most disappointing clubs vis-a-vis their aspirations lately. And that's Bath. It's not a happy situation there. They've, they've not reached any high standards. They keep on changing the coach. We didn't know who was in charge really last year. What's happening this year? Since Bruce Cray took over... He's struggled to sustain a, a coaching group. He's, he's, he's not managed to grow a group or to grow a culture. He's been too trigger happy and he's paid the price by recruiting expensive teams and never quite um, seen them uh, fulfil their potential. There has been over 
the last 18 months, I'd say, uh, a, a genuine attempt at a culture change or a, a way of thinking. They've gone far more internal. They've said they want, I can't remember, 80% of their team to be homegrown. They want the coaches to come through from within. The idea of always going to the next best great thing from New Zealand, which is what they did before with Todd, Todd Blackadder, they've done completely opposite by recruiting Stuart Hooper, who was um, barely had any experience, but one of their great players as their DOR. And now they've, now they've brought in um, Neil Hatley, who has coached, has coached there for a while as their, um, as their head coach, as was exclusively revealed by my colleague Alex Lowe in The Times this morning. So it's a big change of, of thinking and a big change of personality. And I personally, I like that, but I do think it'll take a bit of time before that actually starts reaping rewards. Isn't this one of the really interesting elements of this new season? And one of the reasons it is unpredictable is if you've got this, um, this new generation of, of young English coaches and DORs who, um, who are running clubs. I mean, Lawrence has helped to point Lee Black at, at Wasps. You've got George Skivington at Gloucester. Borthwick's not exactly um, uh, inexperienced, but he's now in charge of Leicester. And, and you've got this massive un- un- unpredictability area over, over Bath. It, that's one of, the, one of the reasons why I think this, this season offers so much, because it's exciting to see what these boys can do, and it's very hard to know how successful they'll be. Lawrence, can we go on to another club who've made some horrendous decisions? A few years ago, we all thought that Gloucester, one of your old enemies, were going to be on their way up. It was promised that Johan Ackerman and a big influx of South Africans would would be the job uh, and would, would give them dominance and put them up in the top four of the table. Categorically, didn't happen. Now we've had a great exodus of the said South Africans. What on earth is happening there? And as a, as a colleague of George Skibbington, is he the right man? Well, first of all, Gloucester are one of the iconic clubs of Premiership rugby. I mean, everyone, every club has its own story, but Gloucester have been there right from the start. And uh, you know that for me, it's one of the, one of my favourite clubs. If I'm honest, if you were ever looking for a club that perhaps hasn't fulfilled its potential over the, all the years of Premiership Rugby, and I'm talking about the whole lot. You know, we've had the Bath era, we've had the Leicester era, we've had the Wasps era, and we've had the Saracens era, punctuated by a title from Quinns, a title from Sale, and a title from Northampton. But really, there have been dynasties for those four clubs. Gloucester remain the question that unanswered, really. Why, with all the resources, with, the, with that wonderful support base, with that amazing stadium... Mm-hmm. Have they not been able to fulfil that potential? If you were picking any club of all the ones that you've mentioned thus far to go in and make a difference, you know, in my opinion, I would pick Gloucester because I genuinely believe you can get a force and a momentum behind you that you could rarely do in, in many other clubs. And a lot of those decisions have been made for financial reasons. You know, Johan Ackerman was a, was a good coach. Did he bridge the gap between Gloucester and the two teams above, Exeter and Saracens? He got close at times, but they were blown away by Saracens in the playoffs quite comfortably, if I'm honest. So he didn't do enough to justify maybe the the huge wage bill that both him and David Humphreys combined um, were, were, were costing Gloucester. And I think in this new COVID world, am I surprised to see those two exit? No, I'm not really. I, I mean, I don't know what their combined salaries were, but it would be substantial. And then what they've done is they've done what a lot of clubs have done. They brought in younger, hungrier coaches, possibly, with a lot to prove. And uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how the, uh, the Wasps trio of George Skivington, Alex King, Waldock, you know, go at Gloucester. But 
what they do have is they've got winning in their DNA. All of those players have won trophies, multiple trophies. So you'd like to think they understand what it takes to do that because thus far at Gloucester, they've played some wonderful rugby, but they haven't been able to, uh, to have that mental hard edge to actually go and win trophies. So uh, I'm excited by it. As I said, I'm slightly jealous by their appointments. There's not much that would pull me away from the TV screens, but the thought of coaching a club like Gloucester or, or even Bath, who are perennially underachieved, would be one of those. So I'm really excited by what they're doing. They've got some wonderful players at that club. If you look at all the clubs we mentioned, you look at the playing roster of Gloucester at the moment, can those coaches get more out of those players? The answer is 100% they can. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Alex, you're well up with all the clubs. I think we should have a brief word about Worcester. Again, always promising things, never quite delivering, and, and they're by no means away from what would have been a relegation zone at the bottom of the table. Any shafts of light there, really good club as we know, really nice ground, not quite cracked it. All the talk through lockdown was was of Worcester being one of those clubs really up against it financially. That, you know, and, and, and they've never quite managed to, to kind of build beyond being a sort of bottom third of the table team. Just looking through their recruitments here, you know, Matt Kovacic from Exeter is the kind of the eye-catching one, but, but they've they've recruited on the cheap, really. They'll be one of those, you know, losing Ryan Mills to Wasps will hit them hard because he's a he's a really impressive player for me. They're a club who are just, who are grateful Saracens are where they are and will be even more grateful when the, the drawbridge gets pulled up and, and relegation gets gets ended because I, you sort of wonder whether that, that threat has always held them back a bit and they're just fighting and, and fighting for survival rather than being able to, to target anything higher up the table because they're, they're always looking over their shoulder. Oh, in um, real great shame for London Irish, this is all disrupted because they were looking forward to having a great new renaissance in a new ground and maybe with Brentford football uh, in the premiership with them. That Neither of those things have happened and you do feel sorry for them. But 
Do you think there's a, a going to be a buzz around London Irish in a much bigger ground that finally take them out of the perennial relegation areas? I think eventually, yes. Uh, London Irish are, are, a, are a club I, I have to say I don't totally understand. I don't understand how how the finances work. Every, every time that you hear a rumour that they've run out of cash, they seem to sign another major international from Argentina or Australia or wherever. The work that they've done on on their on their recruitment over the last year has been extraordinary. But you're right. All this was part of their of, of reselling London Irish or rebranding it, if you like, into the, what seems like a fairly exciting looking new stadium in um just up the road from me in in queue and because of covid it's not quite finished so they can't start they can't play their games there this season but i I understand that from november the new season they will be able to play there so that's a sort of a project still still waiting to take off but at the same time how quickly can you build a team around disparate players from different countries? The, their recruitment slightly veers on the um, players past their peak. So I, I don't know if, if, if that's fair or not, but um, I just keep on saying I, I think it's that, that's a club that's slightly hard to work out what they're going to deliver. I just want to go through everybody and just tell me who you fancy for these games. We'll start with, uh, with Lawrence, Quinn Sale Lawrence. Would, would Sale be upset not to win away there? I don't think they'd be upset. It wouldn't be the end of the world. As I said, they they were on a winning streak of six out of eight Prem games. I think they were really uh, finding the try line. They took 23 out of 30 points and then lockdown happened. So if they win, they they would go top of the joint top of the table. Uh, If they win comfortably, they'd go top on points difference. Um, So... I think it would be a real statement of them as challengers. But equally, if they were to lose, they would take that in their stride because they're, they're so hard to beat at the AJ Bell. And, and I do think that they will be there or thereabouts with the signings they've made, particularly, you know, I mean, not just to Elangi, but the likes of Sam Hill as well, if they stay injury-free, as Owen said. So uh, I can see them winning because it's not quite the same stoop as it, as it would have been with a packed house. I just think that now and again the Quins have great performances in them on these Friday night games. But just briefly, who do you fancy there, Owen? Uh, I fancy Sale actually. I think no crowd. Quins, um, they've got these players, but they haven't. They're, they're two big South African signings haven't arrived yet. Worcester Gloucester is a real sad one because that was always one of the great cloud games. Um, Alex Worcester Gloucester, who do you fancy? That's an interesting one to call because. In- in some ways, I, f- I fancy Worcester just because of the, the continuity. It's hard to pick Gloucester away from home when, when so much has changed. Things will either click immediately, they'll get that new coach bounce, or it'll take, take them some time. What a great game for win for Gloucester it could be, uh, or it would be, if their new team and new coaching staff can get them over the line. But uh, Exeter, Leicester, Lawrence, um, we're already discussing that, and probably Leicester by a f- quite a few points. Well, no, I think, I mean, I do see Steve Borthwick turning the Leicester project around, but I see it as a slightly more longer term fix. Exeter, on the other hand, will be desperate to to get back to winning ways, not just in, in the league, but in Europe as well. So uh, I see Exeter winning that game. I just think they've got a stabilised coaching group that get their message across their players very well. They've got a fairly stable playing group. You know, only a couple of ins and a couple of outs. And uh, I see them hitting the ground running in the way that Exeter do. They know the way that they play. And I think uh, it's going to be tough work for Leicester to get anything out of that game. I'm actually uh, reporting for the Sunday Times on uh, Bristol and Saracens at Ashton Gate. Uh, 
game, which I'm like you guys are really looking forward to my game. And uh, obviously, Semi Redrada will be uh, making an appearance, all being well. Another one that's going to really miss the crowd, but an- another cranking game. Bristol got a few incoming players. Uh, Saracens will be not actually uh, completely uh, unknown because they've got a lot of players gone, uh, two, two transferred out and eight or nine transferred out just for one year. But I do think that Saracens have got a, are on a, a very, very quick turnaround in terms of putting themselves together for the European Cup quarterfinal, especially now that uh, Leinster have players out. So that'll be a cracking game. Bristol will be really targeting that. I just think that Saracens, if uh, they have all their Lions out, uh, could sneak it. I just wonder the dynamic of, of Saracens and what are they playing for, question mark. Well, they're playing for pride and the, the, they're, they're so proud of their club, those boys, the, the, the ones that have, that have stayed. I think it's just going to be absolutely fascinating to see what that really means. Bath London Irish, um, do you think Bath will be playing Alex um, again based on the front row philosophy of their head coach? Or <laughs> do you think um, they'll be throwing the ball about? No, I, I think they'll be a bit more... They've got a few better talents out wide to, to just keep it in the tight five. As much as Neil Hatley might have wanted to do that when in his playing days. Again, a tricky one to call. I, I, I'd go with Bath, but again, there's a lot new there. London Irish have made a, a virtue of... Of, of having a, a team from different nations and, and trying to bond them together. And, and they'll have to, they'll have, they will have had to work hard through lockdown to make sure that the, that connection remains. But I'll, I'll go for a home win at the record. Yeah, and, no, and no disrespect to any previous incumbents, but Bath need a lot of things, but they've desperately needed a scrum half who can play with a bit of authority yeah, behind, shout, yeah. behind the pack. And with Ben Spencer, who was on the tip of everyone's tongue as playing for England, he did make it out to the World Cup, albeit... Uh, a little bit too late, unfortunately, uh, for England. But uh, there's no doubt that he will give them the technical ability behind the scrum. And, you know, he's a goal kicker if Priestland's not on form. There's lots of things to admire about his game. And of all the Saracens' moves, and I know people talk about Earl and Malins, people have forgotten to, to mention Ben Spencer. I think it's a great signing for Bath and exactly what they've needed behind a, behind a pack that, you know, let's be honest, can mix it with... Uh, you know, when it wants to and, and will certainly under Neil Hatley. So uh, uh, as much as we're doom and gloom about Bath Jones, or you are, I think uh, I can see them picking up a couple of wins that people don't expect them to. And actually, certainly, they'll be expected to win this one at home against London Irish. Isn't the baffling thing about Bath, the, the, the other halfback? So they, they got some, as you say, they got Ben Spencer in place, but uh, their number 10 is based all around Reese Priestland, who's a player they tried to get rid of two years ago. They lost Freddie Burns, and they've got to play these games back-to-back. I, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's been a recruitment problem there. I'm sure they, 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 well, we know they tried to get hold of Andre Pollard uh, a year or so ago, but I just feel that that, that is a problem area for them. I heard a rumour that Neil Hatley was trying to sign Dan Cole at fly half, but um, <laughs> I couldn't stand it up. <laughs> <laughs> on Sunday, there's a game which arguably is the most important one on the day or on the weekend. That's Northampton and Wasps. Uh, one of those teams, i.e. Northampton, was not playing well at lockdown. The other one, Wasps, was playing extremely well. Big battle here, Lawrence, for, for fourth place in the table and uh, a really tasty game. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it, you know, as you say, it stands out because they're, you know, under Chris Boyd, Northampton have been doing really well, much clearer about the way that they're playing, although they did have a bit of a blip by losing a couple of games at home that they shouldn't have done. Wasps were flying during, uh, just before lockdown. 
you know, Die Young out the door, a number of, uh, you know, noises happening at the club, but they, they seem to have settled down into a rhythm under Lee Blackett that certainly served them well. But can these sides push for the playoffs? Well, yes, they can. But what we have to remember is that there is only nine points separating Northampton in fourth with Gloucester in ninth. So that is, uh, if one of these teams loses and one of the sides below them wins, all of a sudden the table takes a very different complexion. So I think there's a long way to go. Both these sides need to re-announce themselves as genuine contenders to the three in, in Bristol, Sale and Exeter above them. So it's a big game for both sides. Tough one to call. You know, who's going to hit the ground running, be a bit more organised? I could see it being a high-scoring festival of rugby. Alex Lowe, who takes your fancy out of those two clubs? Northampton, for me, I think the the, re, the lockdown and the reset was probably just what they, they needed. They've got a, a crop of really exciting young players all across the field, different positions from, from Furbank to Alex Moon. Nick Izzyekwi is a good signing. And the, the challenge for Wasps is to, is to recapture the, the, the form they had. And, and I, just, I just wonder whether in some ways it's almost easier when you, things haven't been going well to restart and, uh, and know, you know, fix what was going wrong. So I'll pick Northampton to edge it, but I think it'll be a cracker. Oh, and uh, Lee Blackett uh, came in maybe uh, uh, as a temporary number one, but, uh, uh, but has impressed everybody. A really free thinker, really good guy, probably not quite been able to recruit as they would have liked. Do you join me in fancying Wasp for a big job this year? and also to make the top four. I like what Lee Blackett's done. I worry that their um, squad is short on quality. Their first team, I think, is, is very good. Um, but is that going to be enough, as I say, in this congested period where you've got to have, you pretty much got to have two good teams? Uh, I tell you one thing I'm, I am looking forward to about Wasps is to see if, um, if they can finally get any return on their investment in Lima Sopoanga, who was, mm. um, you, you know, yeah. we all hailed very as good a, point. an exciting signing two years ago who's who's been you know sadly for him and and, and everyone very disappointing but it seemed like he was just getting the hang of it they've been playing him a bit more at 15 maybe the pressure's off now that that um you know he hasn't he hasn't dazzled like people hoped and he's fighting to to make a statement himself so so that'll be interesting I think Wasps I'm not being critical here but if you're going to do anything in the premiership you know you've got to you've got to have a hard physical edge up front um, that's my view anyway. It hasn't changed now and it was exactly the same 10, 10 years ago and 10 years before that. And I always question with Wasps, they've got a lot of players who can play football really, really well, both in the pack and behind. But uh, when it comes to the, to the nitty gritty, particularly against the big boys, can they get down and dirty? And, and for me, they've always been a bit of a soft touch for the last few years. So I think they need to show under Lee Blackett that they're not a soft touch, that they're not going to be bullied. And uh, and if they can do that, then with Jacob Umanga, Dan Robson and some of the talent they've got behind the scrum, undoubtedly they can cause teams problems. But uh, they finish the season roughly where they are, maybe pushing the playoffs. That would probably be a fair representation of where Wasps are at the moment. But uh, I do feel there are teams just below Wasps that, that could end up catching them on the rails. Guys, finally, we've communicated some of our own joy and, and how much we're looking forward to the to the live rugby. There is another issue this week which everyone would have read about who's listening to the wreck, and that is uh, the Black Lives Matter issue. This morning, uh, one newspaper favoured us with a, a big table, a team-by-team table, explaining what they're going to do. Someone's One of the teams is going to kneel, the other team is going to wear T-shirts with a message on, someone else is going to do programme notes, etc., 
Owen, um, you spoke to Rob Baxter yesterday. Can you just outline Rob's view and your own on Black Lives Matter this weekend? Rob's view was was twofold. One, he was frustrated that the responsibility of, of making a response to the Black Lives Matter movement had fallen upon the separate clubs and the separate players. He thinks that they're rugby players and that the response should have been led by the overall organisation, Premier Rugby. He also uh, was quite clear in his words, it, let's remember, we are a sport, we're here to entertain people. Let's get back to being a sport and not trying to be a political tool. Now, I think a demonstration of, of, of quite how disparate um, uh, people's views are on this is, is when you look at what Saracens have said, and they made it clear they're going to be all going down on one knee at their game on Saturday. They're going to be wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts. And they put out a very strong statement, which is pretty much the opposite, saying, we do not want to be silent or stagnant on this matter. We must not ignore the past three months and we will not sit on the fence. We will judge our success not on the wearing of a T-shirt, but on the longer term impact we have as a club on tackling this societal issue. So you've got two pretty strong extremes there. The problem we've got is that each, and I think this alludes to what Rob Baxter was trying to say, is that each club is kind of approaching this in the sense that they're committed to, to calling it out, any discrimination, uh, you know, racism is an issue that no one should have to deal with. But, you know, as we've seen in football, there's a fairly united and unanimous way of, of showing their support with players t- all taking a knee. And I think what we're going to see across the weekend is a slightly disjointed display of uh, of, uh, of Black Lives Matter. Saracens are all going to be in their kickoff positions taking a knee. You know, other clubs are going to form a circle. Uh, other clubs are, are not going to take a knee. They're going to wear T-shirts. And, and I think what you're getting there is an interpretation that, that's going to be viewed very differently, that rugby has always celebrated difference. It's always celebrated inclusivity, uh, hopefully. But the way it's, it's going to demonstrate Black Lives Matters wouldn't come across that way necessarily. And I think, sadly, as a result of that, and who knows why Premier Rugby have not forced the mandate on the clubs to say, look, this is the way we should behave. I think we're going to get reporters reporting about Black Lives Matters on uh, on Sunday and Monday morning rather than the rugby during the game. I wasn't aware until the first round of, of the Premiership restart that the players were going to do anything and watched that first game and the whistle blew and they went down on one knee and I thought it was incredibly powerful. I was then aware, I don't really watch Formula One, but was then aware of, of the mixed response of the drivers in Formula One and, and the mixed message that seemed to send out. Although they they all, they all seem to wear T-shirts. I think they wore different T-shirts and some nailed and some didn't. And that you know, the optics of, the, of that were then confusing to people and, it, and certainly angered Lewis Hamilton. And I think that's the, that's the challenge that, that, that the Premiership has in each club coming up with its own idea is that if, if at a club that has chosen to form a heart shape or stand in a huddle with a T-shirt, that a player in that club feels he wants to go down on one knee, then he should be allowed to, because I don't think anyone should ever tell, ever instruct the players on, on how they how they should behave. The problem with that is that is that if they don't all do it, then it creates a Formula One debate again that you know that, that it are, are players showing enough support. And and that's the that's the question, that's the challenge that Ugo Monia and his working group have, have been trying to wrestle with. The league have, have put out a, a statement saying that every club Every club supports the the movement. It's not a political movement. It's a you know it's a societal movement, and 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 they've tried to make it clear that that however those clubs choose to 
express their support, they are all behind it. It'll just be, you know, we saw Israel Falau chose not to take a knee in, in the Super League and it raised a debate as to why. And, and those are the challenges that, that Ugo and his working group have, have been trying to, trying to get through. You don't think it's because... going to look very odd if Marlon Yard takes a knee and some of the rest of his teammates from Sale are all standing up? Because for me, as a player, unless you discuss this as a group beforehand, and let's hope that they have, that would not display to me that they are united in their thinking. Now, you know, I'm not suggesting one's right and one's wrong, but actually, if I was leading any team, you know, whatever you do, you do it together. If you're Ollie Woodburn in the Exeter team or Tom O'Flaherty in the Exeter team, you know, who have their own views on, on Black Lives Matters, as do the rest of the team, I just think it's very, very dangerous in terms of the way it's interpreted. But equally, you know, rugby is about, you know, is about showing unification, you know, on and off the field. And I don't see any reason why they can't all do the same and, and show that unification. And I'd be horrified, quite frankly, if we're all saying that, that, that racism and discrimination has no place in our sport, let alone our society. Why should you not just show that support very publicly and get it out of the way? And then we can focus on, on uh, as Rob Baxter says, on the thing that we're really excited about, which is the sport itself. Thank you for listening. Don't forget there was a second record. This is already out there with the directors of rugby, Thanks for staying with us throughout the lockdown. We'll be back for the rest of the season, which is about 740 weeks long. Thank you very much to Lawrence Tavalio, Owen Slot, and Alex Drinkappy Cider Low for his contribution. <laughs> we'll be back next week. 